settlement that happened 243 years ago. It was a moment when 56 courageous men signed the Declaration of Independence. It was also the moment that would lead to the formation of a new nation. And we need to remember the most impactive words that were mentioned in that incredible document. And we read these immortal words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They recognized the government did not give to people the rights, but the rights came directly from God himself. This was a stark difference from the rights coming from the kings of that time. It was a bold declaration. And they said it was unalienable, meaning that no one could take those rights away. And the final words of this document recalls that providence was a part of the nation. That word was used so frequently in those days and it was simply that the hand of God was over the formation of this nation and that as they took this courageous step that they were declaring that they would need protection and that protection would come from the providence of God. And they wrote these words. And for the support of this document, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The signers of this document were hunted down. <clears throat> Many of them lost their lives. Many of them were extremely successful. They lost their fortunes. But on this day, we look back and we are grateful that 55 men were willing to give their lives so a new nation could be formed, one nation under God. And I think we should thank them and thank God for what happened. The American Revolution would continue for year after year. If you have studied the American Revolution, you know that there was the sovereign hand of God 
that made a miracle possible. The nation should not have been birthed. The odds were formidable. I think of one moment when Washington had his troops and the enemy was coming at them. A loss of this battle would then the end of everything. But it's amazing that as they were standing there by the Delaware River, all of a sudden, supernaturally, fog came down and they escaped in the middle of the night and they were able to get through that circumstance. Our nation was formed not by men only, but it was the providence of Almighty God. It was something beyond skilled and knowledgeable individuals. There was a hand of God that was forming a nation, a nation that was not going to make the king as center of everything, but there would be another king, and his name would be King Jesus. It's amazing how God was able to work and do so many incredible, incredible things. Samuel Adams was a firebrand of the revolution. He was also a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And he said this, we have this day restored the sovereign to, all, to whom all men ought to be obedient. And from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. This battle would go on for many years. And finally, it was June. It was hot. They were in Philadelphia. It was 1787. 55 of our founding fathers had gathered in a room. They were at this, this constitutional convention and they came to an impasse where it was impossible to even be able to break through their differences. And then, all of a sudden, Benjamin Franklin, who is not a believer as, as we understand it, stood up and called for a prayer meeting. And he said these words, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God, God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? And they were there in a prayer meeting. I haven't seen this in the news lately, but they had a meeting. And when they got down on their knees and they started to pray, there was a miracle that happened in Philadelphia 
And it was not what they did only. It was that God was responding to the fact that they were calling out to God and they were praying for a breakthrough. Our nation is one nation under God. George Washington, the founder of our nation, said it is impossible to rightly govern the nation without God and the Bible. Andrew Jackson, the seventh president of the United States, made a statement referring to the Bible. The book, sir, is the rock, wow, on which our republic rests. Patrick Henry, signer of the Declaration, said, it cannot be emphasized too clearly or too often that this nation was founded not by religious, uh, religionists, but by Christians. Not by religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was a nation that was being raised up by God. This was a nation like no other nation on the entire earth. This was a nation that was deciding that they were not capable themselves to construct a nation and that a nation was going to be formed by a cadre of founding fathers, not everyone believing as we believe, but there was a consensus that there would be a foundation in this nation that would be birthed, and the foundation would be Almighty God, and Almighty God would be the strength of this nation. Our Pledge to Allegiance says, one nation under God. I checked some of our currency. I haven't had much sitting around, but it still says, in God we trust. In God we trust. And we make that statement today for America in God we trust. We don't trust men completely. We don't trust, anyway, praise God, we, we trust. In God we trust, say it with me. What has made our nation stand out is the blessing of God. He is the blesser. It has not been our slickness, our great intellect, our great abilities. Let us never think, because we are great, that we have this wonderful nation. Certainly, God has used us, but ultimately, we must look up and say thank you for strengthening this nation, for birthing this nation, and doing what only you could do. 
It's interesting in Proverbs 11, 11, the Bible says, the blessing of favor resting upon the righteous influences a city to lift it higher. But wicked leaders tear it apart by their words. When we have the blessing because we are blessing God, then the Bible says the blessing comes on the city because of the righteous. And let us not forget on this morning, there are millions of believers in this country that still believe that God is good and that God is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the blesser. And we have come together on this morning to give him honor and to give him the glory and to give him all that belongs to him, the Lord God Almighty. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Reproach means disgrace and shame. Now, we recognize that our nation has been drifting farther and farther away from God. The prophet Isaiah saw long ago in his generation what was taking place. And he says, so justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. As we sit here, truth is being assaulted. We are now living in a cultural relativism. It has taken over. Truth is not what you feel. Truth is not what the culture says. Truth is not what we make up to be the truth. Truth comes from heaven. And heaven sent the truth to earth. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And we will never stop talking about Jesus because he came from heaven and he came declaring what truth is. And now we are seeing that truth has fallen by the wayside. Evil is on the rise. Our morals have been deteriorating. Marriage is being redefined. Gender is defined by our culture. Of all the babies born in America, 40% are born out of wedlock. Half of our marriages fail. Most of our families have no father. Sin is on the increase. 
And now suicide is hitting the next generation right to the young people, the teenagers, and all the way up. And we used to think that wealth was everything until we saw Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade last year who are wealth, were wealthy and famous and they took their lives. And let us be reminded this morning that there is nothing that can satisfy the human heart. It is not fame, it is not money, it is not anything that is other than Jesus. And we have seen our nation being swept along in a tsunami. And now we wake up about a year ago with an opioid crisis. People dying every single day, hundreds, thousands and thousands and thousands. 64,000 drug overdoses a year. Now, human trafficking, which has been in the world, is now in America. It will affect, this year, 1.5 individuals, mostly women. This is the United States of America. This is the America that George Washington talked about. It has left us. And now, shockingly, 638,169 abortions in America, which now are rationalized based on the right of the mother rather than the, the right of the, the child to live. This document we celebrate says that the rights come to us from God. And one of those rights that we need to trumpet today is the trumpet of life. Amen. Truth somehow has fallen in the streets and we have gone far from our moorings. We have to stop and say, how did this happen? How did we end up with these things that are taking place at the present time. What went wrong? Evil will always invade the culture. Let us be reminded that the local church is the hope of the nation. And that we were to be a city on a hill. And a city on a hill is not in a building. A city on a hill is a light to the entire nations of the world. And what has happened, the voices of our culture have become louder and louder. And the voices now are joined together and they are now forming these in incredible power bases. And they are loud. And they are not shy. They are not bashful. They are trumpeting what they believe. And what has happened to the church? 350,000 churches, and the average church is under 100. So as their voices become louder and louder and louder, and then the media is behind their voice, and now churches, people 
sitting on pews, coming to a meeting, the average size under 100. And there is a rejoicing by all the principalities that we have been silenced. What is the problem in America? It is the local congregations. Because if the congregations have stood up and say, we will be a voice, we're not mean, we're not angry, but don't call us intolerant if we have a belief. We have a right to speak. And we will not be intimidated. Those voices say that if we disagree with them, we are intolerant. They are intolerant. We aren't intolerant. And let it be said today, we have a right to have our values. And we will not be silenced. We will not be silenced. It means there has to be radical changes. There has to be a radical change in church in the sun. For whatever measure we have arrived at, we have not arrived. And we have been called as a congregation to rise up and shake a nation that they will hear from us in Washington. What would happen if we had 100 churches in Orlando of 25,000? And someone in England hears about Orlando, and they hear there's a revival down there. And by the way, while they're at the revival, they may go to Disney. <laughs> there has to be a change in the churches. And we have to rise up and know what we are called to be. I have heard... So many pastors that I've talked around the nation and they say, what we have in America is a consumer, a consumer church. Come in, check out. If everything's okay, we're going to be there. And if the light goes out, we're gone. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a consumer deal. This is laying down your life to build the kingdom of God. Not about consumerism. And I want to deliver to you this morning that you will need to change. And I will need to change. I'm talking this morning about dramatic things happening in this church. We did not start this church to be another church on the corner that just has nice meetings. When we started and I walked out and I tried to find a building somewhere, I had a radical spirit that I'm not going to be a part of a church, a Christian culture church where people just look nice and everybody's happy. Listen, we're going to be happy. We are to be a city on a hill. City on a hill. When I ask you, you're a part of this family, aren't are you here to build? We need builders. Builders that say, this is my, this is my family. It's not simply where I go, it's, it's my family. And I'm committed. My father taught me one thing. He said, Alex, you be committed. As a young boy, I saw my father pastor one church go through Hades, and he stayed there decade after decade, decade. why? Because he taught me commitment. 
And I'm calling everybody in this church, if you're called here, you are committed. You're committed to God working in this family, but you're committed to the kingdom of God, a city on a hill. What would happen? What would happen if we become a city on a hill? What would happen if we became a, an Acts 2 church? That when you see the Acts 2 church, you see a download of the Spirit of God, but it doesn't end there. That's the beginning. What, it, what happens is there's a download of the Spirit of God, the power of God comes through that building that day and Pentecost is born. However, they begin to meet in houses. They don't have any buildings. They don't have any stages like this. They were meeting in houses, meeting in homes. Their lives were under threat because of the Roman government. They realized they needed each other. I hope we don't need persecution to drive us to actually be with other people. Here's what I see from my perspective for decades. People over here, people over here, suffering, fighting, battling, going through life. In almost every case I see, they're isolated, they're not a part of community, and they go that way the rest of their life, and when I approach anyone, they're too busy, too busy. So you're gonna die and never be in a community. That's not the church. Jesus said, the foremost mark of believers is their love for each other. And when Jesus was leaving the earth, he says in John 13, you guys need to love each other. And he makes a radical statement in verse 35. He says, now listen, by this, by this love, Everyone will know that you are my follower, not what we're against. Right now, Christians are known by what they're against sometimes and not who they are. I'm not suggesting militancy. I'm not suggesting being mean-spirited. I'm not suggesting being religious. I am saying that this church will not go forward and listen to me clearly as long as you are isolated and you're not in community. You are stealing and you are robbing other people of the gifts that God has given to you. You are a cheat. You're a mature believer, you're gifted, you're a man of God, and you're not giving those gifts into the community. So the church lacks. I will trumpet and Acts 2 calls, and I will call and I will try to demonstrate to you that I love you with all my soul and all my heart and Judy and our leaders, and we will, by God's grace, not be a church culture church. Don't tell me you're too busy. Listen to me. Don't tell me you're too busy. 
I pastored Calvary Assembly one day and night. I was in business. I was doing the Jesus Festival. I was running a youth ministry, and I was raising two girls. Don't tell me you can't get involved in working for God. Don't tell me that. I've been there. We will not be a cultural church. And I want to put you on notice that this church is going to be a church where love is demonstrated in community and love is there. And I'm calling a meeting on the 21st of July after the 11 o'clock service. I'm going to be there with Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jonathan, our team, and we're asking for another 100 to come and open your house. You don't have to know anything. We got right now, what's the name? Right now media. All you have to do is turn it on and there's three questions and love people and pray together. It's simple. You don't have to be a theologian. Open your house. Open your house. Open your house. Go over to Korea. 20,000, 30,000. They said some years ago, you will walk to any community in Seoul, Korea, and there was a house there. There was a family. Meeting here is strategic. But the problem is we have a problem with commitment. We have, commi we have a problem with commitment. We bring our families every once a month. Your children will never be John Wesley's because you're not committed. Talked to another pastor and said, our attendance is down. And guess what is up? We had 700 people watching our service last week. Now, we have people that are sick. People can't come. We have people in the nations. We have all kinds. But we have a lot of people don't have enough commitment to dress their kids and get them in here and train them in the ways of God. What is that? That's slothfulness. Slothfulness. I don't know about you. I didn't, I didn't have two girls for them to be normal, ordinary kids that have a big BMW in a nice house, and they live that way and die. I don't want kids that have a BMW in a big house, and they have a nice job. And I, I said, listen, we're raising our kids to serve God. They're called to be great. They're called to be great. And they were almost in every single service. And I heard someone the other day, well, my kids don't want to go to church. I was going to say, who cares, but I wouldn't say that. <laughs> that would be mean. I understand you want to go. I know how it was. I was the same way. I know how it feels. And tell me more. Well, you know, tell me more. Get in the car. Now, I'm not talking about being mean-spirit. Don't misinterpret that thought there. You do that with grace and a smile and Johnny, I love you. 
I know you want to stay home. Praise God. I know you'll enjoy church. I guess uh, since I was at the University of Maryland, I always was a radical. And I guess, I guess the church team's a pastor. Because you hear all the stories and you begin to kind of believe the stories. And I just decided I'm not going along with that anymore. Because somewhere God is going to give us a congregation of 25,000. We're going to be all over this city. And we're going to draw to this, this place people who are rich and poor and poor and middle class and every class. And that the poor and whatever class you're in, you're committed to Christ. And you're committed to the work of God. You're committed to the cause of Christ. We started the Rock House. The first thing we did was we had community with young people. And then we went ablaze of going out to tell people about Christ. I was single. We went out to where they were, to the theater. And there would be a long line. In those days, there might be 50 young people. And I'd go down and I'd say, hey, come to the Rock House. Come to the Rock House. I went to the bowling, at bowling alleys. I went everywhere there was. And sometimes it's just an invitation, like an invitation to a restaurant. It's just an invitation. And they say one out of three people will come to church if you just invite them. But if you have somebody cut your hair and you never ask them, you're not a city on a hill. You are a Christian that is being sabotaged and you are some kind of a covert Christian, like a CIA, CIA operation. Nobody really would accuse you of anything of being a born-again believer because you're in a covert operation. You don't talk about Jesus because you don't think you know enough about Jesus or whatever reason, you are a covert operative. After the last meeting, this uh, lady came up to me and uh, she's here. Do you, uh, do you remember me? She said, you were uh, getting ready to cut your hair. And you came up with your umbrella and it's raining. And you said to me, can I take you to your car? So I took her to her car. Of course, you'll never guess what I was talking about on the way to the car. <laughs> I invited her to come to our parish here. And her husband, they're here somewhere. I'm not going to point them out. But raise your hand if you. <laughs> stand up. Yeah, stand up back there. Stand up. One umbrella move. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you who Church in the Sun is. It is one of the most, it's a sleeping giant. 
Listen to this. If next week everybody brought one person, our church would double. If everyone bought, brought someone the next week, how long do you think it would take us to be 25,000 people? wouldn't be long. And God is saying to us, seize the day. Seize the moment. I can't help but believe in closing that we are seeing the fulfillment of Acts chapter 2. Verse 17. This is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody. Even the people that are under an umbrella in the rain and cause, says this outpouring will immediately touch your family. In other words, the, the outpouring doesn't stay contained. Listen what I will do, this is Joel the prophet. I will pour out my spirit on everybody. And let me tell you, everybody's hungry for something. Everybody's thirsty for something. And there's nothing like when the, the Spirit is poured out because nothing can satisfy the human heart like the Holy Spirit. In the last days, right now, I don't, I don't know how long you're going to live. I don't know what's going to happen but to America. But I wonder what would motivate us if we knew in three years Christ will come back to the earth. If we knew that date, we can't know it. But how would we organize the church? It says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on everybody. And it's going to overflow into your family. That's the first move. I'm glad it, it, I'm glad it flowed in Jacqueline's life. I'm glad it flowed in Evangeline, my two girls. And then when Judith and I married, Wade, her son, our son and Guy. They both had addictions and they got free. And now it flows in their life, the Holy Spirit. I'm glad, I'm glad that, Jackie, I'm glad I asked you to go to church every week. Banji, you're probably watching. Thank you for going to church from the nursery all the way through pre-K, the children, and then in going to the youth ministry. I'm glad 
the outpouring is not limited to moms and dads. He said it's going to flow to your sons and your daughters. And then they're going to speak prophetically or they're just going to get some words from God and begin to speak in the gifts of the Spirit, operate supernaturally. And then they're going to begin to see visions. And then dad's going to have some dreams. Actually, those two words are the same there. They're visions. Because when you have a vision, you become a seer. You see beyond yourself. I'm glad. Glad my children are serving Christ. Glad they are. Glad that Wade and I are serving Christ and their kids. Would you stand? No one moving for a moment. Please, no one leave for just a minute. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would arrest us this morning. Awaken us to the times. Bring back Holy Ghost repentance where we drive out everything that is of our culture that we pull away from all of our compromise and that we experience the mighty grace of Christ and that we are willing to die for our faith as 70,000 or more will die this year in the nations of the world for their faith. But Lord, not only help us to be willing to die, but also to live. Lord, I ask you to give us all an enlargement of our appetite spiritually. Our hearts are prone to get pretty hard. Some haven't cried for a long time. So, Lord, I ask right now that you would soften us up and that you would tender us, tenderize us to the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, pour out of your Spirit upon us. If there are those here who have had abortions, let them know they're forgiven and in grace that God is big enough to say, I forgive you. And whatever we've done here that is egregious in our eyes, that you will, Father, let your grace sweep this congregation those that are far from God, that they will come to you. Help us to present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, give us a church that shakes a nation. 
thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We don't discount all of your moves. But Lord, let, let all the earth be filled with your glory. Hallelujah. Lift your hands together. Sing it together. All the earth. Sing it. All. Sing it.
It's amazing that on that day when our Heavenly Father sent Jesus to the earth seeking us, seeing the condition of all the people on the earth, and how that he actually asked Jesus to go to the cross and to take the sin of every human being. And on the cross, Christ died. But the purpose of his dying was for you and me. Because he knew that we have all proclivity to go the wrong way. And on the cross, and this cross reminds us that Christ paid for our forgiveness. He made it possible for all of us to have the right to be pardoned. And no matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, and then the enemy, once we've gone down his path and become a part of his small group, he brings condemnation and guilt and shame and you wake up in the morning feeling like there's a, a blanket over your head and there is and it comes from that leader the evil one it's amazing I have seen in thousands of altar calls I'm thinking of the Jesus festival I did in Washington 10 or 15,000 people there and I saw hundreds of young people come at the front, giving their lives to Jesus. We come as we are. This is not trying to be better. This is about giving up your life and say, Jesus, take me. In just a moment, we're gonna count to three. And if you're here and you say, I wanna be forgiven, you just throw up your hand and say, pray for me, I want to be forgiven. And even if you knew Christ and you've no longer engaged with him, just throw up your hand and Christ will do amazing things. We saw the people this morning just baptized in water, making a public declaration of Jesus. Don't, don't back away. Make this your day. And then we have many people that come from different groups. You can be a Catholic, a Methodist, a Baptist, or a non-denominational. That doesn't define who you are. That's where you go. Only Jesus will make a difference in your heart. Being a part of Church in the Sun doesn't save you. You can come many times only Christ is the Savior. So we're going we're gonna to lift our hands. I feel there are a lot of people here this morning. You've been exposed to religion and all that stuff. Put all that out. We're not into religion here. We're into Jesus. So I'm going to count to three. If that's you, just it's simple. You just say, your heart will be saying, you need to be forgiven. 
Don't go home with guilt. No, not when you can be set free. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 3, Christ came to set us free so that we could live a free life. Nothing in the world is better than that. So I'm going to count the three. You throw up your hand. One, two, three. Throw it up. Say, I need to be forgiven. Put it up. Put it up. Yeah. yeah. Put it up. Put it up. There you go. Put it up. We're going to ask if you put up your hand, walk down here and just stand. We're going to have a two minute closing prayer all the way from the balcony. Come down the sides. They're already coming. Come down. All the earth. All the earth. Come on. Yes. 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 All the earth. Yes. Yes. That's good. Come on. Come on. Yes. Yes. Still coming. Still coming. In just a moment, we're going to have a prayer here, but I felt like there's several that are here. You're a 
There's an old term called a backslider. It's not a current word, but it defines you've kind of gone back. And there are quite a few here in this uh, service at 11 o'clock. And some of you are couples together, you're backsliders, so you're working together. So I want to ask for backsliders. You know about Jesus. You could probably preach the sermon up here. Maybe better. But you need Jesus to be really engaged. So come right now, backsliders. Slide into home plate here. This is the only church that claps and no one came. That's what you call faith. Clap again. They'll start coming. <laughs> Come on. Backsliders. Backsliders. Sing it again. Backsliders. Yes, right there. Backsliders. Get down here. Right there. Four or five over here slid into home home plate over here. So uh, so uh, 
That's my wife, Judy, that's been hugging you. And so right now we're going to pray a prayer. And just look up for a minute. We're not focusing on how bad you've been, so don't be overwhelmed by, you know, what you've done bad. This is about Jesus. And you are so valuable that Jesus went to the cross for you. So you have worth. Devil tells you you have no worth. You're worthless. But you're very valuable. And the way we engage is to pray a prayer and invite Christ into our heart. But what we're doing is we're really giving our lives to Christ. And we're saying, Jesus, take my life. So we're going to pray this prayer. And Pastor Dave is right here and uh, did the baptisms this morning. And also, we're going to take you to the side for two minutes. We're going to give you a Bible. And this is a, this is a great experience. And we're going to pray this prayer. Those that are watching online, we have many from around the nations of the world. Pray this prayer. I'm going to ask our church family to pray the prayer. Pray it loud. Uh, I want... We want the devil to know he is a loser on this morning at Church in the Sun. He's a loser. So, if you're online, pray this prayer. Let's pray it loudly, and then you're just going to slip to the side here, and your next move will be to be baptized next Sunday. Say it together. Jesus, Jesus. I put my faith in you, faith in you. that you took my sin on the cross. I confess and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and he is alive. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. I abandon my life to follow Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Give me your grace, the gift of righteousness, and eternal life. You prayed that prayer from your heart. You're in the family. Welcome home. Hallelujah. Go. Go right there with you.